We're going to wrap up our series today on the book of Colossians, the called it the Supremacy Clause. In the first chapter of Colossians, Paul talks about how Christ is preeminent above everything else, that he was he was the beginning. There, there was there's no one before him. That he is the visible image of God, not somebody that looks like God who happened to come to earth looking like God, but he was God come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew tells us. And so he is God and he created all things. John tells us that by him all things are created, without him nothing was created. And that, and so Paul establishes this to the church, this little church just starting out, who's having some crazy ideas come into it, this Gnosticism that's coming into the church. And he's saying, no, Christ is God. He is fully God. He is not a little bit, not maybe. He is God and he has authority over everything. He was the first in creation. He was the first to resurrect. He is the first. And by that virtue, he does have authority over all. So he establishes that at the beginning. He's telling the Colossians, hey, don't get, don't get your philosophy all jacked up here. You've got to know what you know. Because these influences come into the church and they can scramble your brain if you're not careful. Then in chapter 2 he says, well, if that's all true, then now you've been made new in Christ. You've been, you've been made alive in Christ. That power that raised him from the dead has now given you new life. And then we get to chapter 3 and he, and he starts telling us how that plays out. That we're not... That we're not captive to sin, but we can put sin to death in our lives. It's fitting that we just sang that song this morning. After last week, we said, it's your responsibility to put sin to death. Amen? It does no good to keep coming to the Lord, praying, Lord, take this from me, take this from me. When Paul repeatedly says, you put sin to death in your life, the victory over that has been put in you. The power to resist sin and put it to death has been put in you. Take authority over it. Whatever it takes. Amen? So hopefully all of you sinned less last week. Let's give some thanks to the Lord. The end of chapter three, Paul jumps in almost abruptly to the, if we've been made new in Christ, then this is the way we treat inside the family. This is the, this is how the family works. And he just gives this brief explanation in Colossians. Matter of fact, this kind of teaching is the earliest that Paul does this type of teaching. He will write Ephesians later and he will, he will expound on this in Ephesians almost with the same wordage, almost with the same terms. And, and so we'll, we'll be bouncing from, from Colossians to Ephesians because it, they're kind of parallel teachings and Ephesians gives more, gives more clarity to what he's saying. But I'm going to warn you up front. Uh, you know, if you believe that the, that the Bible is the inspired word from God given to us by God, then, which I happen to believe it is, then if there's portions of the Bible that make me uncomfortable, it's not the Bible's problem, it's mine. This ain't Moby Dick. We don't get to just read it and go, I don't agree with that. If we believe it's God's word to us, then when I come to a part of it, that I go, ooh, that's a little bristly. I don't know if I like that wording. Well, well, we just found out in... Colossians chapter one, that Christ is supreme over everything. We don't go back to him and say, Hey man, I think you got that wrong. No, we figure out how to submit to the word of God. Amen. And so we're going to talk about that inside the family relationship and what that, what that looks like. Cause it's pivotal 
in our culture today for the church to stand up and look like the family that God, God intended us to be. Amen. So we're interviewing from Colossians chapter three. So why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word? Colossians chapter three, right at the end of it there. We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter three and read through 25. Say amen if you're ready. Amen. And I think, I think the church in Berkeley Springs, I think, I think uh, Faith and Chris Simmons are preaching up there this morning. So that's a wonderful church and uh, we're excited about all that's happening there. So hopefully everybody watching online just said amen. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, or in some translations it says slaves. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we, we pray that you'd help us. Help us apply it to our lives, Lord, so that when we leave here today, and wake up Monday morning, there's something practical that we can glorify you with. Not just having a knowledge of what you've said and forgetting it, but applying it to our lives and living out your blessing. Pray that your name would be glorified through our obedience. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I'm going to let you know up front, I know that every time we read, there's Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Ephesians chapter 5. Paul starts out with the same statement. Wives, submit to your husbands. And I know in 2022 in our culture, uh, everybody, that, everybody that reads that it goes, <sighs> you get a little tense. You're trying to figure out what does that mean? So I need you to understand, first of all, the context of Paul writing this. It was a male-dominated society that he was writing to. Roman culture was male-dominated. And um, so he's writing to a Roman culture that this portion of what he said would not have been controversial because that would have been understood. When he starts talking about what husbands' responsibilities are, that would have been extremely controversial because husbands at that time had freedom to treat women the way, any way they wanted to. And so what you find is a little bit odd because the exact opposite of today would have been true back then. So if he was writing this letter to the church in Colossia, Colossae, then, then when he said, wives, submit to your husbands, nobody would have even blinked. But when he, when he said, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, you would have heard a, what? So fast forward 2,000 years and we get the exact opposite response. 
So what I want to confirm to you is that no matter what culture you live in, some part of the Bible is going to irritate you. So if you're 2,000 years ago and you're a husband sitting in the room and, and, the, and the preacher says, hey, husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down as a very life for her. You, all the guys in the room would have been like, really? This is what you want me to do. Lay down my life for her. Now fast forward to 2022 and the first little teeny sentence we read, wives submit to your husbands and we all go, ah. So it's just the same response, just inverse. 2,000 years later, we switched positions. I just want to say that just to, just to make sure you're aware that every culture has something that the Bible teaches that we go, ooh, that's not culturally correct. But it doesn't mean it's not correct. So what I have to make sure you understand is there's no writings from Paul where he comes at it from an American civil liberties or, or rights perspective. So the one thing that most all of us have in common here today is that we were raised in the United States with the idea that I have these unalienable rights. And, and they flesh themselves out in our Constitution, and, and that's why the Supremacy Clause, that we can, we can go before the Constitution and say, you cannot take my right, my First Amendment right to free speech. And yet we come into the church and we hear the Gospel teach us, and we hear the epistles teach us, that you shouldn't say everything that you think. So at some point in time, the Gospel does clash with the Constitution. So the issue here is that we always read scripture through the lens of being an American, what we have the right to do. I have the right to do what I want with my land, unless I'm in an HOA. <sighs> there you go. I have the right to do what I want to do when I get up in the morning. I have the right to do this. I have the right to, I have the right to say whatever I want to do. We, everything, every decision we make is based on what we have the right to do. I have the right to not go into work tomorrow because I get some sick days. I have the right for you not to treat me that way. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. None of Paul's writings to the church start off from our rights. They always assume that we understand what our responsibilities are, what our duty is. It's so it's in that context that he writes about marriage and families. He doesn't start off with you have the right in marriage to whatever. He does, you have a right as a woman. You have a right as a, as, a, as a husband. You have a right. No, he starts off with here's what your duty is. And isn't that ironic? Anybody remember, if you're married in here today, do you remember your wedding vows? Do you remember your wedding vows? Anybody remember? Yeah, I had to double check for service, but I think I'm solid. <laughs> do you remember, um, okay, it was for better or worse? Okay, for better, for better, for worse. Richer for poorer. Sickness and health. Till death do you part and not at each other's hands. <laughs> that wasn't, I'll create that circumstance. It was until it naturally happens. Okay. Do any of you remember when you made those vows to each other, proclaiming your rights as an individual? How romantic would it be, husband, if you were looking at your wife 
on, uh, on your wedding day and she comes down, everybody's got a little tear in their eye and, um, and, and, and you see her in the dress for the first time and she comes walking down, everybody's standing up. It's just so, I mean, it's amazing. You know, your heart's racing. You're little, you're little, you're like, man, I better not screw this up. And the first thing the pastor says, uh, Chris, do you take, yeah, I just want to be clear on what my rights are here. Um, I mean, you're beautiful. I want to marry you and stuff, but I have the right to watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. I have the right, I have the right not to clean up the dishes. I have the right uh, to get so sick of the kids. I don't want to be around them anymore. I have the right to be gone for long periods of time doing dumb stuff. Ladies, you didn't do that either. You didn't say, I I have the right to wear a parka to bed. (laughs) It's going to be a quiet afternoon. You didn't start that way. You didn't say, I have the right. When we made vows to each other, we, we talked about the duty, the responsibility to each other. Even if you're the brokest person on the planet, I'm still married to you. Even if you're sick to the point that you can't help yourself, my duty is to you. Even if there's so much stress in our lives, we don't know what to do. I proclaim today in front of God and all of these witnesses, my duty is to you. So it's fascinating how how we... How we start out with a Christian viewpoint of marriage, most of us are, are, are claiming those duties, but yet as we transition into marriage, we start to proclaim our rights more and more. I have the right to go to do this. I have the right to do this. You don't have the right to talk. You don't. So if you're going to understand Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, you have to understand Paul is not talking about rights. He's talking about our duty to each other. And I know that as Americans, we hate the word submission. We hate the idea of submitting to anything because we're always coming from our rights. We're always interpreting everything from what we have the right to do. And you can't make me do anything else. But Paul is not not talking about whether, whether uh, he's not talking about circumstances of abuse. He's not talking about, he's not talking about, he's saying, he's saying in the, in the way a family is supposed to work in the eyes of Christ, this is how we give up our rights to each other. So he starts out and he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Specifically, he will say in Ephesians, submit to your husband's leadership. That doesn't mean that the husband should just come home and make proclamations about what everybody's going to do. By the way, if you're doing that, that's dumb. No, but as, as the role of leader in the home, which we're going to get to in a second, as the godly established role of leader in the home, when the husband loves the family as God intended them to, which is the next verse, husbands love your wives... And don't treat them harshly. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Love your wives as Christ loved for the church, laying his very life down for them. That means, that means the husband gives up all of his rights, even to the point of giving up his own life to protect her. Paul even paints it as a picture of salvation. 
where Jesus laid down his life for the bride, for the, for the, for the church. And that's how husbands lay down your life. It's an, it's an act of saving her. And so that takes the, that takes the, the 2022 edge off of it, doesn't it? So Paul's painting this mutual submission. I'm willing to lay down my rights as a husband, lay down my rights to love my wife, and she's willing to lay down her rights to follow godly leadership. All right. Can I get a little amen? Okay, we're, we're still good. All right. I, I preach these right before Easter so you feel obligated to come back to Easter. Because, you know, like, well, we got Easter. We need to stay at the church at least through Jesus coming alive. Wives, submit to your husbands is fitting in the Lord. I think the problem in our culture is that we have such a difficult time with submission because we haven't seen many examples of godly leadership. And I'll give that to you. What you have to understand, though, is that obeying God is not dependent on what's currently happening in our culture. You know, there's all through the Old Testament, there's this debate of whether God wants sacrifice or obedience. And every time it comes up, God says, I'd rather have obedience. And that we can, we can, we can present to God all the things we've given up, all the things that we've done, all the things, look, God, what I did for you. And he said, hey, I'd just like you to do what I asked you to do. I'd like you to obey first. And so, because it gets so tricky nowadays with, with what our culture is shifting and the problem is, is that sometimes we don't even know what godly leadership looks like. So how do I, as a woman, how do I, sub, how do I even know what it looks like? How do I know how to, how to do that? How do I, and I, and I would just say to you, look, Beth and I have been, been together almost 27 years and there were seasons in our life where we didn't know what it looked like either, or we had to get people who did know what it looked like to help us out. Amen. This past, this past Friday and Saturday was just exactly one of those things where a group of people came together and said, hey, is it possible that we could look into the word of God, that we, could, that we could help each other figure out what this thing looks like? So one of the things we said was like, don't wait until it's too late to get help. So if, if you grew up in a family that, that you didn't, there was no godly leadership, if you grew up, if, 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 you, if you can't look around you and find it anywhere, go looking for it. Get some help. Men, if, if you can hear my voice today, don't wait until the house is flooded to call the plumber. As soon as you hear the drip start, get some help. If you, if you never had a godly example in your life of what it looks like to lead your household, go find one now. Go seek one out. There's men in this church that, that known how to do it, have been great at it. Go seek them out and say, look, I don't have the liberty to not be good. I don't have the right to not be good at this. Get help. Because if we're honest with the way these verses come together with Colossians and Ephesians, can I just say to you, men, it's the man's responsibility to show the family what the example looks like. And so there's, 
it's really difficult to then not provide godly leadership and then complain when nobody will submit. All right, second service, first service is quiet too. I, I can do this. I'm good. How in the world could I ever get my, want my wife to follow godly leadership or my kids follow godly leadership when I'm unwilling to provide it? And so, Paul then naturally would spend most of the time talking about man's role. So if you stop at the wives submit to your husbands, you'll miss the whole picture. You'll miss the whole thing. So it gets to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. This would have been shocking because marriage in Paul's time might not have had a lot to do with love. I mean, that's not necessarily across the board. There were probably occasions where it was like, hey, I think you're hot. (laughs) But they weren't predicated on love the whole time. And so when Paul, when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians and his later letter to the Ephesians, it would have been, it would have been kind of a, kind of like a bomb dropped in the church going, guys, you have to be countercultural today. You have to love your wives as Christ loved the church. To the point of even laying down your life for her. To the point of loving her past your rights. To the point of loving her past what culture tells you, culture tells you need to. To the point of loving her past what every expectations have been set before you. Love her like that. Love her like that. When you love her like that, then you can assume your position as godly leadership. Oh, did you hear that, wives? There's a prerequisite. In order to have godly authority in the home, you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So men, in order for us to exercise authority over our homes, we have to love people like Christ loved us. We have to love our kids sacrificially, love our wives sacrificially. You have to love her, like really love her, unconditionally, no strings attached. You know the massage with nothing after it. I think that was a safe comment. (laughs) We're going to find out. (laughs) Okay, watch this. Watch this. Here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Man, I need you to listen to me right now. And I'm going to preface what I'm getting ready to say because I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm trying to tell you that when we don't do it God's way, there's, there's pain. If you're a single mom in here trying to figure it out by yourself, I pray the strength of God Almighty in your life today. If you're a single dad in here trying to figure it out by yourself, I pray that the very presence of God would lead you in that endeavor. It's not, gonna, it's not easy. I do need to say that's not the way God set it up. Just because we find ourselves in circumstance doesn't mean that's a circumstance God intended for us. Listen to me. The United States is facing an epidemic of fatherless households. And the results are devastating. When Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and and lead them and guide them and provide protection for them and discipline and, and direction and all those things... 
He's writing it because he knows without that, it would be catastrophic. And so America in 2022 is a Petri dish for watching how the devil can destroy families. And all he has to do is yank the man out of it. That's all that has to happen. There's a QR code that's going to come up. You can take your phone. If you're unfamiliar with QR codes, you can take your phone, put the camera on, uh, at least an Apple phone, your Android users, you may have to, I don't know, run around the building or something. Um, you can hold your phone up, Apple phone or Android, and you, you can just hold the camera on that. Come on, do it. Come on, pick out your phone, get on there. There's a website that you go to. I think it's called fathers.com. There may be some of you in the room that didn't even know this was going on. Maybe some of you in the room had the privilege of growing up with grandparents who never got divorced and, and, and parents who never got divorced and you had godly leadership in your family. And, and that's, I bless you and you should count that as a privilege to grow up in that environment. But if you didn't, if you didn't, I want you to read the statistics on this website. It is absolutely devastating. America is compared to third world countries as far as fatherlessness in the home. We are number three in the world for being the worst case of fatherlessness in the household in the United States. It's far reaching across every culture in the United States. And you can see the breakdown demographically and how it's plaguing uh, different, different demographics in the United States. It is devastating. And it's time the church doesn't, doesn't keep playing around with it. It is killing families and kids. When you look at the results of fatherlessness in the household, incarceration rates go up. Uh, lack of education goes up. Depression goes up. Suicide goes up. All these things in our kids, all these things start to rise to the top because there is no godly leadership the way God designed it in the household. And so families pay the penalty for it over and over and over. And, and tons of the ills that we face here in the United States are because the dads walked out. Are because at some point in time, the mom and the dad went, this is my right. And we forgot about our duty. As parents, it's my duty to figure it out with my wife. I don't have the right to not do that. It's my duty. Not only my, it's my God-given responsibility. Men, lean into me for a second. God, in his divine wisdom, I don't know why, Pick the man to be the leader of the home, not to lord over it as, as, as we're used to seeing people do, Paul would say, not, or Jesus would say, not to lord over people, but to provide godly, loving leadership to our households, to be able to sit down at a dinner table and show your kids that you love your wife unconditionally and point them in the right way and say, this is how we submit to God's will. This is how we submit to his plan. This is what it looks like to forgive. And this is what it looks like to apologize. And this is what it looks like to stand up for what's right. And this is what it looks like to defend people. And this is what godly leadership looks like. And when we... And here's what we find out, man. When we fail to do that, there's nobody else coming behind us. 
God is the father to the fatherless. But that's not the way he set it up to be from the beginning. God said, listen, single mom, if there's a man in your life that wouldn't carry the responsibility, God can be enough. But that's not our first go-to. Men, that's not, a, that's not an excuse. God will take care of it. We just can't get along. Lay your life down to figure it out. Lay your life down to figure it out. If men in church just could figure out how to apologize, if men in church just could figure out how to serve, if men in church just could figure out how to figure out how to be, how to submit ourselves to God. So there's a curious thing Paul would write to the Philippians. He would write, Philippians chapter two, verse five, have this mind among you. Now he's not even talking about families. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he says, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you should put it all away to follow him. He said, having the same attitude, having the same mindset as Christ, who, who was God and could have put his first step on the ground and said, I am God incarnate and you won't talk to me that way. I am God and you won't do that. I am God and I don't have to touch anybody. I'm God and you can't bother me. I'm God and get those stinking kids out of my way. I'm God. And... But he did none of that. Paul writes he didn't count equality with God even though he was. So he said Jesus himself came to earth and although he could have at any moment went, you will not treat me this way. He failed to do that. He said, I'll, I'll lay it down. I'll lay it down. Because he knew every man on the planet that would follow him would want to pick it up. And he knew that godly leadership meant submitting ourselves to the authority over us. And so Jesus, I love the passion of the Christ because it's got the Mel Gibson Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Not that sissy little Jesus that's holding lambs all the time, but the Jesus that got beat up. You know the one I'm talking about, the blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus with the lamb. That ain't Jesus. I'm talking the Mel Gibson Jesus who got himself beat down all the way down and stood back up and said, I'll take a few more lickings if you got them. That Jesus that said, I'm the toughest thing this world has ever seen. I'll willingly go to the cross and sacrifice myself for you so that every man that would follow that would have an example of what it means to lay down their life for the people they love. And it is not sissy. It's the toughest thing you could ever do. Amen. Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Children, we can make a song about that. (laughs) 
If you're a young person in here, I, I know your parents probably don't know about TikTok and they don't know about the latest thing or whatever. Or maybe your parents do know about TikTok and that's weird. <laughs> the best advice I could give you as a pastor is obey your parents. In Ephesians, Paul would, would quote Exodus where God's handing down the commandments. So this is the first this is the first commandment with a promise that you may have a long life in the land. And I used to say, um, if you obey them, you'll live longer because your parents won't kill you. <laughs> but if you're young in here this morning, if you're, if you're a teenager here this morning, I know the natural, um, the natural thing to do is to start rebelling a little bit. I, I did it. I, I know what it feels like. I thought my parents were dumb. I thought their rules were dumb. I thought wearing boots in the winter was dumb. They said, your feet are going to get cold. But they're not cool. I know that, that you're in a culture now where doing your own thing and not, and not obeying authority is a deal. But the most blessed you are ever going to be is figuring out how to, be, how to obey authority early. The easiest your life will ever be is when you learn how to submit to authority early, especially if you got godly parents, man. If you've been blessed with a godly example of a mom and dad, grit your teeth and do what they ask you to do. I remember those moments. And my life always got worse when I disobeyed. Not because I got punished, but just because of the ramifications of what I did. It was always humbling to have to go back to your parents at 18 years old and say, hey, you were right. Now, can you bail me out? <laughs> Not out of prison, but out of <laughs> the staff and board are like, we didn't know that part. <laughs> it's the most blessed your life will ever be, and it will prepare you for adulthood because there's never a circumstance in adulthood where you get out from under authority. Amen. And the problem with our culture today is that most adults don't know how to be under authority. We start off as teenagers rebelling and then we just keep doing it. And there's some 60 year olds in here. They're like, you ain't gonna tell me what to do. <laughs> and we've just never learned how to be under authority. And by the way, God asked us to be obedient. As we said earlier, not just give stuff up. Lord, look what I've done for you. Yeah, but you haven't obeyed. So children, listen to me. Learn how to be obedient. And stop hanging around people that don't want to be obedient. Now, there's a little side note to this. Dads, listen to me. Stop making it easy for your kids to disobey you. Stop hammering on them. Stop. Paul says, fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Don't push them to the point where they don't have a choice. Don't, don't keep on them and on them and on them. Don't try to live vicariously through them in some sports thing. Don't, don't exacerbate your children. The home should be a safe place for them to come back to after they've went into a school or they went into what they're for. It should be a safe place and dad should be the ones protecting it. Not exacerbating the issue. But when they come home, the dad's like, hey man, you know what? It is safe here. Who's that 12-year-old picking on you? Let's go down and handle something. <laughs> it's been a while since I beat a 12-year-old up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, don't do that. that would be... Make a safe place for your kids. All right, the last thing. 
this is a tricky thing in our culture right now. And if you read this scripture through the lens of slavery in the United States, it will never make any sense to you. It will never make any sense to you. But that is Americans, how we read every, every verse that has to do with bond servant or slavery. We read it through the lens of the antebellum South. We read it through the lens of, of how America's walk through slavery, how it affected us. We read it through that lens. But you can't do that. In the Roman culture, over 50% of people walking out in the street were in some type of bond servant circumstance. Even people with really, really good jobs would be in what we would term slavery to somebody else. If you got in over your head in debt and you couldn't get out of it, you would sell yourself to somebody else who could pay your debt off. Now, if we want to talk about it like that, we're all slaves of the creditors today. They're just not making us wash their dishes. So if we read it through the lens of America's dealing with slavery, then we miss what Paul's asking us to do. So Paul's dealing with a culture that this was, ev- this was the way it worked. And it wasn't necessarily always harsh. It was, it was look, this is, I was born into this. It was, it was the way it worked. So all of a sudden Paul says, now we have to deal with Remember, this is the first century church. We're just figuring it out. This is, this is, this is a letter to the Colossians. It's, an early, it's, a, it's a, just a small church. Paul's saying, if you find yourself in that circumstance and then you accepted Christ, here's your response to your circumstance. Now, does that make sense? Matter of fact, if you, if you go past this a little bit, there's a little teeny letter to a guy named Philemon about, about a bondservant named Onesimus who Onesimus had run away from Philemon, who, if you want to call it, owned him, he, that's what the circumstance was. Philemon went to this church, went to the church of Colossa. So all of a sudden, Paul's writing this practically to Philemon saying, hey man, this guy Onesimus, I know, I know there's something between you guys now because he, he took off, but listen, he's become important to me. I'm going to send him back to you and I want you to treat him not like a slave, but as a friend. He is going to come back to you and fulfill his duty to you. I'm sending him back to you to do that. But I need you not to be harsh to it. Paul's figuring this out in real time in the new church. Everybody on the same page? Now, here's fast forward all the way to the United States. You say, Chris, this doesn't make any sense. Like how? Paul's not endorsing slavery. He's saying, if you find yourself in this context, this is the way you operate. Amen? But if we go back to chapter 1, chapter 2, in other epistles, Paul says this, there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free. Did everybody hear that? He said, once we are made alive in Christ, we're all the same. Once, so then he can write to Philemon and say, hey, listen, one's of us just as your bond servant. He's just like you now. He's been made alive in Christ and I know you have too. So now you're brothers. Now watch. Now watch. If we just read from the, from the 18, from the start of the, up to the, up to the civil war, if we read it through that lens, we're going to miss the benefit of this scripture to us. We're going to miss the benefit of Colossians when it comes to ending slavery the way we know it. The words Paul writes there, we are, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. And he repeats it in other epistles. 
that those are the words that end up freeing all slaves eventually. Because we would come out as a country and say, we are created equal by our creator. So we were repeating the things Paul was telling us that once we come to Christ, we are all the same. So then fast forward to the Civil War and America's having this fight to say, listen, we are all created equal. Paul said there wasn't any Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. So now we have the liberty in Christ to all be one. Come on, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So listen to me. Paul's saying in light of the supremacy of Christ, this is how we treat each other. If you're a, if you're a wife, this is, this is your duty. If you're a husband, this is your duty. If you're a, if you're a, a, a kid, this is your duty. If, you're a, if you find yourself in slavery right now, this is your duty. We're not talking about rights. This is your duty. This is how the gospel fleshes it out in your life where you currently are. This is how it works. And from that 2,000 years later, we can do a resounding amen, amen, amen. So stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you with this one thing. If Paul could say that to a bond servant, how much more should the church walk out tomorrow and go to our jobs and not complain? How much more, if we're submitting to the authority of Christ, if we're submitting to his, if we're, if we're submitting to the responsibility and duty he put on us, we should be able to walk in our jobs tomorrow and say, you'll hear no more complaints from me. He saved me, redeemed me, set me free, made me alive in Christ. And I am thankful to be able to serve in this capacity. I'm thankful to be able to be, I'm thankful to have a child. Amen. So let's do that. Can you just lift your hands today? Whatever role you find yourself in this morning. And you say, Lord, from this day, thank you for reminding me that I have a duty as a husband, as a wife, as as a child, Lord, as a servant. I have a duty today. I have a duty as a member of the body of Christ to do what you've called me to do. Lord, we pray that that you sink that into us today. God, let us fulfill what you've called us to do this morning. Help us to carry that role the way you did. Thank you for it. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. Come on, could you lift your lift your voice this morning and sing it out to him? Come on, he has tried to screw us up with the way we're thinking, but God is turning our thoughts around this morning. Come on, sing it out, church. Oh